0: to the David Glenn Show. Later this hour, Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer is going to join us live from Paris, France. The Hornets are over there to play an NBA game. We will talk, of course, with Rick about Zion Williamson's regular season NBA debut tonight as well. Joining us now, as promised, a guy who called Zion's games because he's the play-by-play voice of Duke football and men's basketball. David shoemate joins us now. There are only two teams in college basketball that are top 10 in offensive efficiency and top 10 in defensive efficiency. The Kansas Jayhawks are one, and they got into a brawl last night after beating Kansas State. The Duke Blue Devils are the others, and they avoided brawls while beating Miami by 30 last night. David, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you?
1: Appreciate it, man. didn't realize you were handing out tickets to Paris today. I would have jumped on that. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: I guess is Durham the Paris of North Carolina? I don't know. At the very least, it probably has a good French restaurant somewhere. Uh, before we dive into the, <laughs> my, the modern Blue Devils or the current Blue Devils, we all saw this spectacular once-in-a-generation talent and YouTube sensation Zion Williamson on the court for a season with the Duke Blue Devils. You got to see him and be around him behind the scenes beyond you calling his games. Uh, Since he's about to make that next splash as an NBA player, what can you tell us just about what you observed in him as a young man as he tries to uh, scintillate at the NBA level the way he certainly did for Duke?
1: Well, I think that's what makes him captivating, right? I mean, you, you think about there's so many guys in the NBA that are prolific dunkers. I mean, that's not like some unique characteristic. Maybe at his body type, uh, that's what makes him different. But I, I think it's, one, he, he's a ruthless competitor. Uh, but how many guys do you see that, that play with a smile on their face? Yes. And I think that's what makes him engaging. That's what draws people in. Um, It it makes him a unique guy, and that's who he is behind the scenes. He just loves playing basketball in this day and age where there's so many outside influences and and people have different things they're working on, uh, and rightfully so. This kid just loves to play, and you see that, and I think that's what draws people in. Um, He loves his teammates. He loves being a part of something and building something, whether it's, you know, he's already down there in the community in New Orleans kind of captivated everybody. But that's what draws you in. He's magnetic, and then he can deliver every time he gets on the floor on a basketball side of things. But I think it's just that smile. He can light up a room.
0: Around a year ago, after the infamous exploding shoe, you probably heard the cynics and the skeptics say, there's no way Zion's going to return. You know, why risk your multimillionaire status as an NBA number one overall pick you know, just to play for your favorite college or whatever? Uh, and now some people are you know chiming in for UNC's Cole Anthony in similar ways. Zion and his dad, it seemed right away last year, said, that's not our thinking at all. We, we hear your points, but we're here to play ball for Duke, and he talked about commitments to teammates and commitments to coaches, et cetera. I don't know if you saw this, David shoemate but Zion recently said publicly, like, I'm not kidding, but for the money factor, I wanted to play a second year at Duke. And, of course, the cynics rolled their eyes again. Uh, did you catch that comment? And if so, what did you make of it? Because I guess at some point, wherever your heart is is one thing, and your advisors are telling you, man, this is just too many millions to say no to.
1: No, I mean, one, it's real. I mean, I mean, that's where he was when, I mean, you, you know, over the summer and stuff, right? When when everything's going on and the drafts going on and stuff like that, you know, where I bump into him, I bumped into him at the golf course over here across the campus from Duke. He cool. was out, you know, working on a short game out there, getting shots up on the driving range, <laughs> trying to get his golf game going, and he was around. Washington Duke which was the local hotel around here yeah you know he'd be on campus paying pickup I mean that that wasn't a PR thing that's who he was he was doing baby reveals in the K Center I mean all sorts of (laughs) stuff he just loved being a kid loved being on campus and and he loved being a part of that and I I think he was pretty close you have to and I think coach would be the first one to say was what he had you know waiting for him financially and, and generational wealth you have to go but he loves being around it I think he loved you know, the the purity of what what comes with playing the college game and and playing at a place like Cameron Indoor Stadium and and for a guy like Coach K, and and he loved his teammates. And, you know, it doesn't make him unique. There's a lot of guys that are like that. Um, But I think for some people in this day and age where at times it can feel like it's all about the money, um, that's not quite how he beats to his drum. And, And you talk about that. I even heard whispers of some people saying, why is he coming back? To the NBA now? Why doesn't you know he wait a full year and get fully healthy? And uh, that just comes from a place that people don't understand him. When when he's ready to go, he wants to play and looking forward to seeing him tonight.
0: David Schumate is joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Duke PBP for play by play at Duke PBP on Twitter. To this year's Blue Devils, I was intrigued. You're around. I was intrigued. You're around Coach K a lot more than I am. I've After 30-plus years of covering him, I do have a sense of what question to ask or not ask in a post-game scrum. And I, I thought it was interesting that he sidestepped the Zion Williamson question last night and just wanted to talk about his Blue Devils beating Miami and breaking a short losing streak, et cetera. Have you been around, like, can you get into the mind of Mike soshevsky Is that like the the West Point guy? Let's focus on the task at hand. Hey, we just broke a losing streak, and I'm not talking about even my beloved former player right now.
1: Well, at times I do have a sense, but I've got an unfair advantage because I get to go to practice a lot. Right. Uh, I get to have a sense of what's going on and, and kind of where the team is at. And, and. The comment last night, and Zion would be the first one to say Coach is exactly right, but, yeah, you, you did have a sense. You know, Duke came into the game last night 15-3, and three, right? Season's still going awfully well, but they had lost a couple in a row, and Coach's total attention was on getting that win over Miami, and while some people may look and look at Miami's record and say, well, of course, Duke won. They were heavy favorite, and, and they took their business, but in, in terms of this team and how young they are and, and what they're trying to learn, what they're trying to overcome, that was as big a win and as good a performance as maybe you could stack it up uh, across the season because of where it fell and because of what it meant in terms of stopping one solid momentum and starting a different streak and getting a win back. But, no, it doesn't surprise me, and I do have a sense of where to go with Coach. But, you know, yeah, in that moment, he wanted to talk about this year's team. Yeah. But, you know, before the game against Louisville, I had a chance to talk on the pregame show you know, the 2010 national championship team was being honored. And and he talked about that for a couple of minutes uh, on our pregame broadcast. So, you know, there's times, he, he, you know, he's aware of other things going on out, outside the program, but there, there are definitely moments where he wants to focus in on this year's team.
0: I mentioned only Kansas and Duke are top 10 offensive efficiency, top 10 defensive efficiency right now. You mentioned the outstanding record the Blue Devils have. Uh, but I know Coach K doesn't get complacent. What would you circle being around the Blue Devils all the time, having called all of their games this year? Even though you're already among the best, some stuff needs to get better. What have you heard Coach K circle, or what do you see along those lines?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, there's pretty clear lines that you can draw between when Duke has won and when they have lost, and, and turnovers – are certainly the, the first place that I would start because this team doesn't have a Zion Williamson or an R.J. Barrett who can individually just take over the game and reel off 10 or 15 points in a row and physically and, and just from their pure talent overwhelm the opposition. So you can't give the opponent a 10, 15-point head start like they did against Louisville on Saturday. But they just can't overcome that. So those turnovers and whether you want to call them, you know, turnovers or touchdowns or live ball turnovers, Duke can't afford those so that that would be the first thing and then the second thing would be and it, it was better last night to so give give Duke credit 10 of 13 at the line but at times the free throw shooting has been a bit of a concern and uh, one of those guys surprisingly um, has been Trey Jones in conference play struggled a little bit that's one at least from my perspective that I'm not overly concerned about because he was up above 75 percent in non-conference play I think that'll get figured out and and Vernon Carey Jr. is starting to get a better free throw stroke. But but those would be the two places, I would say, if you're looking at when it's gone well versus when Duke has lost a couple, it's been turnovers and not hitting their free throws.
0: Coach K has such a special place in his heart for his former players that he is on the record, for example, saying, you know, whenever I retire, however far down the road that is, it's going to be one of my guys Uh, that that succeeds me here. With that in mind, Jeff Capel is bringing his Pitt Panthers to Cameron next Tuesday. Uh, Coach recently joined us on the David Glenn Show, and he talked a little bit about the emotions involved just for him. He even said it's different that the Panthers hosted Coach K and Duke last year up there, but he says this is the first time he's ever stepping foot into that building as the enemy, (laughs) ever. Like, he can't think of another time he was not there representing Duke in some capacity. Uh, what has Coach K shared maybe from last year, if you recall that, when they went to Pitt, or more generally? Uh, I remember I think he said, you know, I'm not scheduling Chris Collins in Northwestern. I'm not scheduling Steve Wojciechowski in Marquette. You know, I don't want these matchups with Johnny Dawkins and UCF, et cetera. Uh, and yet in the case of a conference partner with Pitt, I mean, it's unavoidable.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and I think I think I was listening, didn't Jeff say he'd never actually been in the visitor's locker room, so that'll be I, that's right, first that's for him right. coming up on Tuesday? That's crazy. Uh,
2: no,
1: yeah, with Coach, I mean, and I, I think it's the same for, for Jeff Capel and anyone on down the line of, if you look at, you know, there's so much emotion that goes into it, right? And, and for Coach, it's the pride of seeing what his guys have done before, and there's no bigger fan of, of his guys than there is of the Coach, but when he walks out to tip it off, and just like I'm sure Jeff does with his team, he owes it to his current guys and what they're building and what they're doing that he kind of just blocks it out. And for two hours, that's the opposition. And, and you mentioned, Johnny, I mean, you look at that game last year in the NCAA tournament against UCF. Now, now Coach was admittedly a little bit under the weather. But I've never seen him so drained yeah. uh, after a game. Uh, when, when that one finished, you could just see the emotional toll it took on him. And knowing what that win could have meant for johnny and his program but also what that win meant for you know duke's current group last year and getting to the sweet 16 um it's not an enjoyable experience i think i, I put it that way uh, to be mildly they're very much aware of it but at the same token uh, when it's time to go out there they're going to block it out and i fully expect jeff to, to come in here and block it out as well uh just like any other opponent and then after the game i'm sure there'll be a moment
0: Last thing for David Shoemate, the play-by-play voice of Duke football and men's basketball, joining us on the David Glenn Show. Every ACC team at some point in the schedule gets this week-long break. You Right, you know, you're usually playing twice a week, every three or four days. Uh, in Duke's case, it starts right now. So they crushed Miami last night, 89-59. to It's not until next Tuesday that they host Jeff Capel and the Pitt Panthers. I remember Coach K discussing practice time on his best teams, his struggling teams, his injured team. It's it's like he views it as, you know, golden nuggets. Like it is the cherished, I think of like the mad scientist getting time in his laboratory without any distractions like games or the media and such things. How has he put that into words in your time with Coach K? Or maybe he has addressed it now that uh, this is Duke's seven days to become an even better version of itself.
1: Yeah, my question. And it comes at a place, you know, you're eight games in the league play, you've got 12 to go. And, and you talk about that practice time. When you are got the games coming at you every three or four days, really you're just focused on a scouting report and, and putting that in and getting ready for the opposition. So you don't have a ton of time to tweak what you do or look at what people are doing against you and maybe change the offense or change how you approach things defensively. And that's what's going to be so valuable over the course of the next week or so is things that that Duke can adjust schematically in terms of what they're doing to answer what some teams are doing, you know, putting two and three guys on Bernie Carey Jr. every time he gets into the post. Well, now what can Duke do uh, to punish teams when they're doing that sort of things? And those are things that are very hard to install, you know, when you've got the games coming every couple of days and you need to be focused on what the opposition is doing, and, and that's where Coach approaches it. The other thing, and I think this gets lost in a little bit, when the games are coming so quick, particularly when it gets later in the season for Duke, you just can't practice that long because you got to keep the guys late. Yeah. And, and you maybe 30, 45 minutes or an hour or so, well, now with the week in between, not only can you get a little bit fresher, but you have more time to correct mistakes, more time to work on things in practice, and practice. And maybe most importantly for this team, it's another week where Windermore Jr. can get closer to coming back. Um, you know, Duke's fifth leading scorer, they really need him to get back and healthy, you know, hopefully just a couple more weeks before he can come back after that broken bone in his right hand. Uh, but that may be as important as anything as you get a week for him to get healthy.
0: Since you mentioned freshness, let me squeeze in one more thing. I, I'd have to double-check this, but covering Coach K since 1987, I cannot think of another time where there's only one guy playing more than about 25 minutes a game. And that's, of course, Trey Jones, who's up there in the mid 30 minutes per game range. But he's also going 10 deep with guys playing 13 or more minutes per game. Like, I just don't remember that distribution of minutes on any Coach K team in 30 plus years. Do you think personnel simply dictated it this year? Uh, is there another explanation for it? He changes night to night. I mean, you know, there are nights where an Alex O'Connell oh, yeah. might not play, but I just haven't seen this distribution and it, it theoretically allows them to be fresher more often down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and I, to your point, I think the, the way the guys have played has dictated some of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, people look at what Mike Shushesky done over the years and say, okay, he likes to get down to a seven-man rotation or he likes to do this or he likes to do that. You know, he's a zone defense, or sorry, man-to-man defense kind of a guy. But was a couple years ago, Duke went zone when they had Bagley and those guys. Right. First and foremost for coach, he wants to win. And I think that's what makes him so unique is, and I know it sounds trite, who doesn't want to win, but he'll change the system if he thinks it's going to be what's best for the team. And for this group, having those 10 guys out there and what that allows them to do defensively, particularly uh, to be fresh, to, to apply the pressure on the ball that they want to, Uh, To be able to get out, you know, up and down the floor and not worry about fatiguing, that's what works best for this team. And I think that is what, to me, impresses me most, watching Coach and being close to seeing how he works, is he's not trying to impose on them something he wants to do. He's watching, he's reading, he's learning what this team can do, what's going to be the best version of them. And then he puts it out there, and some people might go, oh, wow, Duke is playing 10. He would go that's what I need to do to win. So, of course, that's what I would do, which, which seems simple, but it's fascinating to, to watch up close how he, he's not really a prisoner uh, to anything he likes to do.
0: His name is David Shoemate. Follow him on Twitter at Duke PBP. I don't know why I say, cannot say that quickly. It's at Duke P B P. David Shoemate, the play-by-play voice of the Blue Devils. Thank you for the time, as always, here on the David Glenn Show. Appreciate it. You got it. From the Paris of North Carolina to the Paris of France, Rick Bunnell from the Charlotte Observer will join us from the other side of the pond. He covers the NBA and the Hornets for charlotteobserver.com. We will talk about Zion's much-anticipated debut this evening for the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll also talk about why the heck the Hornets are in Europe right now. Rick Bunnell live from Paris, France. There's a Paris, Georgia, I believe, on our side of the pond, Paris, France, I've been there. I recommend it highly. Really, really good food over there, really good sights. The Eiffel Tower, don't miss that one if you go over there. Paris, France, one of my favorite cities in the world. I haven't made it to Paris, Georgia just yet. Rick Bennell is going to join us later this hour. You can chime in on the matters of the day. The Tar Heels on your mind, they have a losing record as they head to Virginia Tech tonight. Cole Anthony has told the world he is coming back although we're not sure exactly when the freshman point guard is going to rejoin the Tar Heels lineup and perhaps give them a much-needed boost. It was Duke all over Miami last night. It was Wake leading Clemson for much of the night uh, at Little John last evening, but falling 71-68 to Brad Brownell and the Tigers. Zion's debut inspired the question of the day. Are you betting boom or bust or something in between? For him at the next level, the year after he was an ACC champion, ACC tournament MVP, and national player of the year in the Blue Devils uniform. The Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2020 is finally settled. It's Derek Jeter and Larry Walker. No to Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and everybody else. The North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame this morning announced Muggsy Bogues of Wake Forest and NBA fame. Mack Brown, national champion at Texas, twice the head coach of the Tar Heels of UNC. Trot Nixon of the Boston Red Sox. And Wilmington, North Carolina, also in this year's class, Julius Peppers, many others. It's a 12-person class going in. Learn more at the website ncshof.org. one of the more exciting classes that I've seen. If you want to attend the banquet, With those luminaries, you can do so. Get your own table. Visit ncshof.org. It's the 57th annual banquet for the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, May 1st of this year at the Raleigh Convention Center. The ACC football schedules are out. I'm excited to see App State and Wake Forest playing each other again. That'll be on a Friday night in September. Duke is at NC State. Those all football, old football rivals don't play each other every year anymore, but they will play each other here in 2020. More on the ACC schedule unveil of earlier today. The NFL has only the Pro Bowl this weekend, and then Chiefs 49ers a week from Sunday. Luke Kuechly, Larry Fitzgerald, and Antonio Brown among those pro football headlines. The Canes are headed into the All-Star break in style and on the right skate, if you will. Justin Williams with two goals against Winnipeg last night as the Canes now get a 10-day break before hosting Vegas on January 31st. 1-800-849-2761. Those are among the topics on our mind. You can jump in with your questions, comments, or complaints. We have kind of accidentally built an all-time Duke players in the NBA team in honor of Zion Williamson. Maybe he'll end up on it someday. Kyrie Irving and Grant Hill are the two best former Blue Devils who built – multi-time all-star type bodies of work at the NBA level. Elton Brand, Carlos Boozer, Luol Deng, Jeff Mullins, and a whole host of others made our final 15-man roster. We're waiting a while for the latest generation, Brandon Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, and those guys, and we'll see what uh, Zion has to offer starting tonight. Nice 15-man roster, pretty good-looking for not just Coach K products, but those who played before his time in Durham. 1-800-849-2761. Those are the topics we have kicked around so far today. You can join us on the other side. Did you see what the Los Angeles City Council requested of Major League Baseball this week? as if we needed more politicians involved in more sports headlines. I will share that quick story as we come back to your calls next. I made a reference to Mike Shashevsky of Duke and his goat status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass.
1: This is The David Glenn Show.
0: Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We're going to catch up with Rick Bunnell live from Paris, France. The Hornets play the Milwaukee Bucks over there later this week. We'll talk to him about Zion Williamson's debut tonight as well. Todd is in Kinston and has a former Duke player on his mind. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead.
1: Hey, Dave. Good to talk to you again. Thanks, man. I I was just (laughs) seeing what your thoughts were. I know it's a little early to nominate Brandon Ingram. But all-time duke list, but he's definitely showing promise now that he's left that black hole of a rotation in L.A., uh, but was also wondering what your thoughts were about how his career will progress now that Zion's going to be joining the roster. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, he's taken a step toward becoming an NBA All-Star, and as we kick around all these former Blue Devils, Kyrie Irving and Grant Hill and Elton Brand and Carlos Boozer and Lou Dang and all the rest the very best, did reach the level of NBA All-Star at least a couple times. And Brandon Ingram, he certainly had, I thought, his second and third year with the Lakers were pretty darn good. I mean, the team was bad last year, but he was good. Number two overall, everybody remember, to L.A. coming out of Duke in 2016. So first three years with the team that drafted him, L.A. If anybody tunes in, and I would imagine there are going to be great ratings for Zion's debut tonight, don't forget that Brandon Ingram, formerly of Duke, is having this breakout season with the New Orleans Pelicans. So you're going to see, and I, I see what you're saying, Todd, too early to put him on the all-time Duke team in the NBA. I agree. It's only year four. But it's you know what it's not too early to do is nominate Brandon Ingram for the most improved player in the NBA award, and I think that is an official award. He was already good. I mean, what did he average, like 16 and 18 the last couple of years with the Lakers? He is a more efficient version of himself with the Pelicans. And he has helped keep them afloat while they've waited for Zion to make his debut. So I'm excited, I'm excited more right now about Brandon Ingram's NBA career than I have been at any point in the last three and a half years. And it's because he's clearly put in the work. And because of that work, he's trending toward becoming an NBA all-star. And if you start doing that, how old is he now, like 22 or something? I mean, you got a long way to go. If you trend toward becoming an all-star and you get there, he's got a decade or so if he stays healthy at that level. I like his chances of ending up on our all-time Duke in the NBA team a lot.
1: All of us here in Kinston are excited about it. I
0: imagine so. From Kinston, North Carolina, that is both Todd, our caller, and Brandon Ingram, the, fir- the former Duke Blue Devil. Live from Paris, France, the Kinston of Europe. No, Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer. The Hornets play the Bucks in Paris later this week. Rick on the NBA, the debut of Zion Williamson tonight, and whatever's going on with those Hornets, that's next on the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn
1: Show.
2: The NCAA book on violations of so sick Superman has trouble carrying.
0: This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours, okay? (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your calls a little bit later. Joining us now, he's always one of our favorite guests, but he gets the Extra Effort Award this time. We're about to find out whether Rick Bunnell's second language is French or something else. He's actually joining us from Paris, France. The Charlotte Hornets play the league-leading Milwaukee Bucks there this Friday. It's like an afternoon game our time. For Rick in Paris, it's like late evening. I don't know if he's calling us from the shadows of – the Eiffel Tower, or somewhere else. But I'm going to put it this way. Bonjour, monsieur. Comment allez-vous aujourd'hui?
2: Maybe David, he how are you?
0: <laughs> French happens to be my second language. Now, God knows I chose poorly back in the day. Spanish much, must have been or would have been much more useful. But uh, did you know what I was saying there, or do you have a little booklet that you're carrying around with you in
2: Paris? After Bonjour, you, you kinda <laughs> lost me. <laughs> David, I but I will tell you an incredibly funny thing that happened to me yesterday that shows how the internet has truly turned us into more of a of a, of a global village. I was in a I was in a, a cab and we drove past soccer stadium and I you know, the guy spoke some English and I pointed to the stadium and I said, Football? And he said, Yes. But I'm a basketball guy, and I said, oh, and he said, where are you from? Because you could tell my American accent. And I said, North Carolina. And about 20 seconds later, we were at a stoplight, and he looked in his rearview mirror and looked at me and said, your name? And I said, um, Rick Bonnell? (laughs) And he got this weird look on his face, and he said... Tony Parker. Wow.
0: That's great, <laughs> man. That is phenomenal. It is a small world in some funky ways. And by the way, you happen to be. I'm not truly a world traveler, but I've been a lot of places, probably a dozen or so different countries. Uh, Beyond the United States, my favorite cities include Paris and London. So I'm jealous as you cover the NBA from one of the greatest cities in the world. Before we dive into Zion Williamson's NBA debut here stateside, uh, you had a great article in the Charlotte Observer. Of course, Tony Parker is a legendary NBA player from France. Hornets guard Nick Batum happens to be from France as well. And this must be just a weird feeling of emotions for Nick Batum. It's a homecoming. His Hornets career has kind of taken some side roads. And Nick experienced his own father's death at a young age. Um, How did that all snowball into what was a really great deep dive article in the Charlotte Observer this week?
2: Nick, Nick, um, I've known Nick really, really well. And... He took a little bit of leap of faith. He knew I wanted to talk about this, and he said, then we're going to do it alone. And he sat down and told me just the most incredible, chilling, crazy story. Um, Nick was two and a half. His father was a basketball player in France, professional player in France, complete opposite of him. I mean, like a, like a like the thug guy, the enforcer guy. And he went to the foul line and collapsed and never got up. Oh my God. And died on the spot when he was two and a half. Um, it was a terrible thing to go through, obviously, and he had to relive it all. 17 years later, when a week before the draft, he was doing a workout with the Raptors, and something looked mildly odd in the um, EKG, and they asked him if he had any hist- family history of, of illness. of, of you know, and, and he told them that his father died when he was a little boy, and they asked him of what, and he said, I'm not entirely sure. There was no autopsy. Um, The NBA had a massive panic and thought that there was something in Nick's DNA that was going to make him die young. Mm. And they rushed him to the Cleveland Clinic for a workup. And here's David where it gets really bizarre. Um, There was no autopsy then, and so they had to find the doctor who pronounced Nick's father's dead. He had retired to Africa, and Nick had to sit in on a conference call explaining in agonizing detail what the doctor remembered about watching. watching that. It is Nick's first memory of his life. Mm. It is Nick's worst memory of his life. And he thought he was going to die by the time he was 30. Mm. And when he turned 31 in December with his own child, about the same age as, as he was when his father passed away, he had a conversation with his mother and his mother said to him, Nick, nothing's going to happen to you. You're past this. It's over. There's a closure now, and it was so incredibly courageous and cool of Nick and his agent to be willing to share all this with
0: me. Man, I got chills while you told that story. It's Rick Bennell joining us from Paris, France. That's part of the Nick Batum experience and huge parts that I had never heard before. Great stuff at charlotteobserver.com. Always you can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick underscore Benel. We do think of the NBA, of course, as a global game, regardless of you calling us from Paris right now. Uh, what? How did the Hornets game against the Bucks come about? And what can you remind us about just the expansion of this game? I've watched it for decades, you know, from the Dream Team forward and Yao Ming and Asia and all the rest of this. It just feels like a, another branch with a, a regular season game right there on Paris soil.
2: Well, first of all, the Hornets lobbied for this. They really liked the experience they had in China in the preseason in 2015, so they pushed to get this game. And obviously, at the other end of this, like you know, Giannis, you know, with the possible exception of, of Luca, and Luca obviously was not Luca two years ago when this is in the planning stages. But there's nothing. There's no better way to get um, to, to to get people excited in Europe about NBA basketball than to have Giannis near right. Um, the, David, the other thing that's interesting that I think you'll get a kick out of is I'm writing a story for tomorrow's paper, talking to the three Europeans on on the um, on the Hornets roster, and I also wrote to Marvin Williams because he's so interested in international basketball about the inherent contrast in cultures between European and American style youth basketball, hmm. and I was struck by how blunt everybody was. Um, I got this fantastic quote from Biz. Bismarck Biombo, where he said, "Look, whoever whoever comes puts together an AAU team, whoever has the money behind it, their son has to score all the points." Mm. He said, "Everything is." He said, "Everything in European culture is just the opposite." And you know, he said, "He said, you know, per individual agendas are completely, you know, um, submerged to conform to what's good for the team." Um, Marvin talked about how he does clinics overseas and he's amazed by how. Well, these kids are trained fundamentally, like they're classic, classical musicians. Um, you know, Marvin said, you can't get away with having bad shooting mechanics and throwing up a ball from 30 feet the way you can in an A-U game. It's just not tolerated. And it was just really, really interesting to talk to the three Europeans about how they came over to this country, and they watch basketball at different levels, and they kind of shake their head about how different it is.
0: Rick Bunnell joining us live from Paris, France. Hornets Bucks on Friday afternoon, our time. CharlotteObserver.com for all of his coverage on all things NBA and, of course, the Hornets, including this international trip as we speak. Let's go to Zion and then maybe back to to the Hornets. Um, you know a lot of NBA decision-makers. Uh, how do you paint the, the backdrop to what's happening tonight? We, we saw him in the preseason a bit. He is 6'7", 285. He, he beats up his knees and his joints because he's carrying all that weight. But he is an amazing athlete. He was the National Player of the Year for his one year in college. Do you believe the New Orleans Pelicans have to treat him with kid gloves? Or now that he has recovered, you know, I guess after a little build-up period, do you believe that they believe, that you could just throw Zion in there the way you would somebody else and, you know, try to ask him to be a star in short
2: order? Well, first of all, Elvin Gentry won't be doing that. I mean, Elvin's, you know, this is about the fifth team Elvin, Elvin's coach. He's a smart, you know, old-school guy from Shelby, North Carolina. There, he's going to go overboard, I think, to protect Zion. Um, what I'm a little concerned about is – the hype issue you know it 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 feels like you know like eight months before the next big superhero movie comes out we Mm. start selling the trailer yeah because he's been hurt you know the nba like wanted, you know like set up like a dozen pelican games on national television just on the prospect that wild things were going to happen and i just think that there's some outsized expectations about what he can be right here and right now and that's not good for the kid
0: what did we learn in the preseason? I remember some doubters were suggesting, hey, there's no way he can play in and around the paint given all the seven-footers and those long arms. Didn't he show before he was sidelined that he can still play some inside given his the spring and his step and his athleticism and his long arms and his quickness? Uh, but it seems like even the more level-headed folks uh, not the naysayers believe that he does have to round out his perimeter game if he wants to be a truly dominant NBA player.
2: You know, you being the Philadelphia basketball guy, you probably remember somebody who actually was about six foot four. Yeah. And when Charles Barkley wanted to stand someplace, nobody else got to stand there. <laughs> right. Didn't matter how much taller that guy was. Um, that's a man. <laughs> and and you know I, what I learned covering Larry Johnson years ago. Is when people are that strong, that that center of gravity, you know, they're they're made of granite. Yeah. Um, the guy's going to be just fine. He's going to score inside. But to his credit, from what I've heard, he's really working on having a more all-around game, um, just to be able to complement that. I, I think he's going to be a real good player. You know, the only thing I ever worry about physically with with Zion Williamson, is him really watching his his uh you know his weight and the world is not the best place to be doing that yeah. <laughs> um i remember an nba general manager saying to me you know I, you know after he played so well early last season i i crossed paths with an nba general manager um from another team and i said hey what's your what's your impression of zion and he looked at me he said off the record the kid needs to lose 20 pounds and so he that's gonna be you know that's gonna be an issue for a while and it's certainly not something that's that hard to overcome with with nba great trainers but he's gonna need to be conscious of that david
0: jeff van gundy said today that he believes zion may be in the process of saving nba basketball in new orleans and he backed that up by talking about, you know, Anthony Davis forcing his way out. He backed it up by saying he's been in that arena many times, and there's often very sparse crowds. Uh, it's just interesting that the city that took the Charlotte Hornets from our state years ago uh, has kind of bottomed out in a way. Is is it too much hype and hyperbole uh, when Van Gundy says that you know Zion has a chance to save the NBA in in New Orleans?
2: Um. The part that I agree with on that is that the Pelicans are going to be fragile. That's a that's a market that is challenged to support two major league franchises, and and we, you know even more than most NFL cities, that's an NFL city. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they've done good things there. I mean, David Griffin is a really smart guy. The, the Brandon Ingram, you know, I, I'm so impressed. I, I, I wonder if you would agree with me that David Griffin made the best of a terrible situation when he had to get what he could for Anthony Davis. And Brandon Ingram's a star. I mean, a really dynamic, incredibly entertaining basketball player. If they can just get all the pieces on the court um together and give them 20 30 games to sort of get used to each other for now and then they get a real nice lottery pick I think that's a really entertaining team I you know before the season started before Zion got hurt I thought the two like under the radar really cool teams that were worth you know turning on NBA TV to see if they were around were the the Hawks and, and the Pelicans The Hawks have really had such big problems defensively that they're hard to watch. But, you know, if the Pelicans, if they actually get everybody on the court, they're going to be a really fun team.
0: Since you're in Paris, France, I'm curious, do you and or the players have enough downtime? I mean, the Louvre is one of the world's largest museums. You know, you've got the Eiffel Tower. You've got the Arc de Triomphe. I remember from my wife shopping, that there are some serious deals available if you're willing to go down the Champs-Élysées. Do you guys have time for that stuff, or is it, you know, all basketball and all business?
2: Well, I came a little early. If I was to going all the way across the, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, I was not going to just show up here, work twelve hours a day, and and go back home. So I was here a few days before they were. <laughs> um, I think the players are trying to enjoy themselves. I know that they're they're leaning on Nick yeah, for yeah. you know restaurant recommendations, <laughs> um, but. But having said that, remember, David, this is very different from when preseason games are international. Um, you, know, they know they, you know, they they know that, you know, they travel 4,000 miles in one direction. They know in two or three days they're going to have to get back on a plane. And as soon as, you know, they're going to get back. And even with the buffer zone and the schedule, um, you know, they're, they're going to be throwing right back into the breach when they get back. So... You know, of course you want to walk outside in this beautiful city and and take it in a little bit, but there's only so much you can do that when you're playing a regular season game. It's very different that way, I think.
0: All right, remember, bonjour is good day. If you really want to impress the French over there, at this time, given it's evening for you, you make sure you say bonsoir. That's good evening. You'll really, I mean, you know, they have low expectations of Americans. I can tell you that right out of the gate. Give them a little bonsoir. And l- watch the Frenchman's faces light up, man. That's that's all I got for you today.
2: All, ro- all- is, it, is it true <laughs> that they're doing away with the word mademoiselle because it's seen as sexist?
0: Oh, boy. I'm not that up on my, uh, my woke Paris culture. I don't know. Man, I, I hope. A- I don't apparently know.
2: Apparently, the word is considered gauche because there is no comparable word for a single man.
0: Look at you dropping gauche. An English word that is a derivative from French. Look at you go dropping, Gauche, from, live from Paris. When I say bonsoir, mon ami, I am saying good evening, my friend Rick Bonnell. Thanks for joining See, us, man. I,
2: I did go to the Harvard of Central New York. <laughs> We actually had, you know, classes and stuff.
0: Hey, man, you are one of the smartest guys I've met in sports media, so nothing is a surprise when it comes to what you deliver here on the David Glenn Show or otherwise. Merci beaucoup, mon ami. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. (laughs) Appreciate it. See ya. Extra effort award from Paris, France, Rick Bunnell of charlotteobserver.com. Final thoughts and TV picks. You guys didn't know that I spoke French fairly well. They don't say I'm fluent, but when I visit over there, compared to all the other Americans with me, let's just say that I do the most of the talk. you flex that muscle a couple of times. I do indeed. Final thoughts and TV picks all in French as we come down the stretch next. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We ask folks you work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years.
2: Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game that can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.
0: Bonjour, monsieur and mademoiselle. Just kidding. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. Thanks to Rick Bunnell for joining us live from Paris, France. Thanks to David Shoemate, play-by-play voice of the Duke Blue Devils, for dropping by. Thanks to you for chiming in on the Baseball Hall of Fame, the NBA, the NFL, some college hoops, some canes, and some other things. Your sports TV menu options this evening include NBA on ESPN, Sixers and Raptors, two of the best in the East. They go to head, head-to-head at 7 o'clock. More college basketball, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Providence, Seton Hall, Georgetown, Xavier, and the 8 and 9 North Carolina Tar Heels visit the 13-5 and five Virginia Tech Hokies. Can the Heels get a win? Australian Open tennis as well among your options. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on.
2: It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say... Uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.